Welcome back into another episode of the All Ball Podcast. Like we do every Monday, George and I went back and recapped this past Sunday slate of games from the Cleveland Browns taking care of business against the Cincinnati Bengals in the first game without Odell Beckham Jr. to the Kansas City Chiefs narrowly beating Jordan Love in his first start ever and then finishing it off with the Tennessee Titans statement win another one against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football. We talk about every game, not just those three games, but those were three of the major ones that we had. Hope you enjoy this one. Thank you for listening. Okay, so week nine of the NFL season took place yesterday. Let's start out with one of the big headlines that we had from the early slate of games, which was the Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, the Browns, their first game without Odell Beckham Jr. Obviously, everybody wants to see how Baker Mayfield's doing in this one because of, you know, the back and forth that we obviously had there. And Baker played pretty solid in this one. The Browns obviously beat the Bengals pretty handily, 41-16. I personally don't see this as, like, if you're a pro-Baker, anti-Odell guy, if you can look to this game and be like, yo, Odell was the problem. Baker's amazing without him, all of this type of stuff, because was Baker solid? Yes. Was he amazing? No. This was a game where the Browns defense and the run game really dominated throughout, and that was the backbone of this game and why the Browns were able to be so successful against this Bengals team. I mean, the defense forced three turnovers. They had five sacks. They were constantly making pressure in the backfield. And then Nick Chubb averaged nearly 10 yards a carry. And even if you take out that 70-yard touchdown, he's averaging over five yards per carry on, on 13 carries right there. So he's consistently able to move the chains. Baker was fine. I just don't think it's the point where you're like, Odell was definitely the problem. Baker's now going to be unlocked and he's going to be this top 10, top five quarterback. No, I don't think – I think that's reasonable to say that he's not going to be some top five guy. But I did think there was a lot of, like, Odell Ewing theory stuff with the Browns today because, um, uh, you know, I do think, first of all, like you kind of saw this with the Raiders when the first stuff happened with Gruden um, and where, where he's out and the team gets invigorated. So the question is going to be, um, was this a one-week thing where, you know, he's out and now you're spreading the ball around, you're doing whatever you want and it's going really well. Is that a one week thing while the energy's high or is that something that's actually going to last? You know, the stats will back up that they're actually better without Odell. And I do believe that there's something to be said for, while as talented of a player as he is, that there's sort of like, oh, Odell's on the field. Like I got to try to find him and you sort of get taken out of your rhythm. So, um, you know, I, I do think there's a real thing there with the Browns offense. Now, obviously, Nick Chubb being back, 14 carries, 137, two touchdowns, including the 70-yard rush. Like, that's really the big thing, right? Like, when they were struggling the most, it was because they had no Chubb. But ultimately, what this game was for me, and like I talked about with you on Wednesday, is that the Cleveland defense is really, really good. And the Bengals, you know, their offensive line is suspect. And that's exactly, you know, what we saw. Miles Garrett was all over the place. Burroughs throwing some picks. Um, and I thought it was really a defense in classic, you know, Cleveland Brown fashion defense, run the ball. And then, you know, a couple big deep shots, including the one to DPJ. Um, I thought, you know, you could honestly say that the QB play was the third most important factor in the win behind the defense in the run game. Exactly. That's why I'm not going to go and point to this as the Odell. Like, look, Baker was solid. I'll keep harping on that because I don't want to act like I'm bashing the guy. And there was de there are definitely statistics to back up the fact that Baker is better. I don't know what it is, whether it is, you know, you see, you know, you have Odell Beckham Jr. on your team, you know, the game breaking speed and the, the ability for him to take one slant pass and go to the house or he has shown in the in the past. And that's not, not necessarily with the Browns so far. 
But yeah, I, I, it's the run game. It's the defense. You brought it up on Wednesday. You said the way that the Browns win this game is the fact that their defensive line is able to wreak havoc on Joe Burrow. And even when Joe Burrow was able to break contain and get past the first rusher and he would make a big play out of it, it would come back because of a holding call. I mean, I remember a third and like 15 that he converted Jamar Chase and it got pulled back because of a holding call because this Browns defensive line was able to get after him. And then we obviously saw the first possession of the game ended with a pick six on ten from Denzel Ward on Joe Burrow when the Brown, uh, when the Bengals were inside the five, I believe, or the 10. So I think this was just – this is exactly how the Browns want to operate with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. They want to operate through the run game. They want their defense to be stout, and they want the quarterback to not make the mistakes and make those big-time throws. He, that DPJ touchdown that he had was a perfect throw that he had. Yep. But I, I just still don't think it's to the point where when they go up against the Patriots next week, I think we'll have a better, a lot clearer picture because it's not necessarily, I mean, look, he got the ball back and it's seven, seven at this point, they're not down. They're not down. They don't have to get phased out. They were able to run their offense pretty consistently. And it's the ability, you know, when you're not in rhythm, when everything's not going well for you, how does he respond, especially without a game breaking guy like Odell now to the Bengals. I said yep. this before, their defense is an elite. It's closer to good than elite. And you can obviously go based on some statistics early on in the year that they were closer to that elite side. But since, or in the past two weeks, since I started talking about this, they've given up 72 points to a Jets team and a Browns team. The Browns have scored 17, more than 17 points or hadn't scored more than 17 points since week five of the NFL season. That's about four weeks from, from now. And then you're talking about Mike White and the New York Jets. So this Bengals defense, which was, good and they had a great game against the Ravens is just good they're not elite like we you know if you had just seen that Ravens game you're like wow this defense is really good this defense is closer to elite than they are to good yeah I think uh, I think Burrow is one of those guys who definitely passes the eye test QB wise um the reality is he has 11 picks which is you know bad um it's up there with I think he's tied for Darnold for most in the league um you know he also has 20 touchdowns and 2500 yards so by no means is he bad but he definitely is prone to mistakes you know he had a game like this against the bears as well where he had multiple picks i think when he when he plays against an elite defensive line due to the deficiencies in their o line kind of gets after him and you know he takes a lot of hits um starts to rush out a little bit more also you know undeniably a bad game from jamar chase um 13 targets for only six catches and 49 yards um pretty sure one of those you know missed ended up in a pick and then also you know he had the lost fumble so no you know no broad statement to make on it just a bad day at the office yeah the Browns are one of those few teams that they have the guys in the secondary whether it's John Johnson Denzel Ward Troy Hill all these different guys to match up with the firepower that the Bengals have on the outside and the perimeter from their receivers so this is one of those matchups where it works really well in the browns favor when it comes to defending the pass which is how the how the Bengals want to operate I, I i i will say that jamar chase i think it was just you know there was a couple of passes that were like right there for the taking i think they were burrow like missed him a little bit like a fingertip long on a really long possible completion there was one he also had him deep and he a little bit under threw and it allowed troy hill to come back on the ball the, the fumble was inexcusable. I don't take really much things from the from the Bengals offensively, even though they were only able to put up 16 points. I think it was just a really good matchup for this Browns defense where their defensive line was able to get after them, only sending four, and they have guys in the secondary to make plays there and, you know, limit the amount of big plays that the Bengals are able to do, which is a, a pretty big focal point on this offense and as we yeah, see so, throughout the year. So, so the problem for the Bengals is, 
their schedule is really, really hard going forward. You know, I'll go through the names in a sec, but before I do, I'm just going to preface it by saying there's not a single quote unquote easy game left. You have at Raiders versus Steelers, Chargers, Niners, at Broncos, home versus Ravens, home versus Chiefs, at Browns. The easiest game there is probably um, at home versus the Niners. And even that, like I said, is no gimme. Um, this schedule is really, really difficult. They went from being on top of the world at five and two, coming off an amazing one against the Ravens. Now, for me, I kind of struggle to see their routes to the playoffs. Now, I mean, I see it, you know, you win X amount of games, but you're in the best division in the league and um, and you you don't have a lot of easy games left. You kind of went through them all in the early weeks when you beat the Jags and you beat the Lions and, you, and unfortunately you lost to the Jets. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough sledding for the Bengals to get to the playoffs. Yeah, when I'm looking at it now, I mean, the Raiders game on the road, that's tough. The Denver game on the road, that's tough. I mean, you get Baltimore and Kansas City at home. We'll talk about Kansas City, obviously, and the mess they are on offense later on. But there, there is really nothing, even when you're looking at, you know, the, the road games are probably the easier, besides the San Fran game, the road games are probably the easier games. But it's also like you're going on the road now. And then the home games, you're going up against the better competition there. So it doesn't really match up well for them. It matched up really well for them early on in the year. And, yeah, that Jets game will probably bite them in the ass when it comes down to it because now they're outside of the playoff picture looking in. You couple that with the – play it with the games they have remaining and it's tough to see the Bengals coming out in a pretty um a pretty what's it called deep come, conference if that's yeah, what you're yeah that's the exactly that's what I was, yeah because like you were saying before I mean they're two games out of the out of the one seed there's not that much disparity between the one seed and where they are which is the six or seven, the seven seed is also five and four, like the Bengals. So there's a lot of guys fighting, jockeying for that position. You still have the Indianapolis Colts at four and five, which is a game out. There are so many different teams there. And when you have that tough schedule and you had the easier schedule, easier half of your schedule early on, and you haven't really differentiated yourself there. And especially when you drop those Jets games, it's tough to see the route for them to uh, to get there. Yeah. So the problem is to put into perspective sort of what I was saying this past week about the depth of the AFC. Right. Eleven teams in the AFC are over 500 and the Colts are four and five. So you have 12 teams that, that are threats to make the playoffs. And you have the Jets, Jags, Dolphins, Texans, you know, bringing up the rear. There are 12 genuinely good teams in the AFC. It's the deepest conference I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I misspoke. Eight, I, I was talking about the Colts as the A seed from like the non-division winner. So, yeah, they're the 12th seed and they're a team that's four and five, one game out or one game back of the Bengals. But, yeah, it's such a deep conference and compare that with the NFC where there's a clear teardrop there from the top five to, to the next group of teams. And that's where, you know, they'll be jockeying for those last two spots. But when you look at, you know, the, the differentiation between the top five and the, and the rest, there, there's a good bit there. Like I think, yeah, two games at this point. Okay. There, Yeah. There are a number of teams who are going to miss the playoffs in the AFC and be looking at those, you know, last couple uh, NFC wildcard teams and just saying, man, we're in the wrong conference. Yeah. I mean, how much would they, how much would they like to switch with the Falcons who are the, uh, who are the seven seed right now in the NFC and they're four and four. Yeah. I mean, not that they're the other teams in the conference or in the AFC are that much better or even better at this point. But, you know, when you look at the Falcons team, they, their best win was this past week against the Saints. Not much else there that you can really hang around. I think, I, I think honestly, um, of the 12 teams that we just talked about, I think all 12 are better than Atlanta. And I think most have a case over New Orleans, especially with Simeon and quarterback. Mm -hmm. Okay, next game, Denver, Dallas. Same thing I said about the Bengals with the Browns, you know, the secondary being really good. I, I, I think you can say the same thing with the Cowboys with the Broncos. Broncos have probably the best secondary or one of the best secondaries in the NFL. So they're able to match up with CeeDee Lamb. 
with Amari Cooper. They named Michael Gallup in this game, but that's where, you know, it caused some issues, I think, offensively. And there's just then defensively, you saw them just get actually torched in the run game. Javante Williams seemed to be just picking up. I, I know there's a statistic out there, rush yards over expected or even rush yards after first contact. If you had to look at Javante Williams, I, ha- I don't have the numbers in front of you, but if you looked at them, I assume they're insane right now because every time he would touch the ball, he would get hit and he would just continue to churn on for more yardage. And it was just a bad showing from the Cowboys on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, you know, this and is offense. I'm going to give – this is where I give one of those it's a long season spiels, you know what I mean? Like, it's a long season. Um, you're not going to win every game. You're going to have fluky games. You came off a big emotional win with Cooper Rush at QB. And, you know, a lot of things went wrong. They couldn't get it on fourth downs. They had the crazy punt thing where they blocked the punt, but then the Broncos ended up getting it back because they touched it. Um, and, and just, you know, things like that. Like, like I said, some weeks you're not going to show up. Maybe the Broncos – Maybe there's a little bit of Von Miller stuff like, you know, Von Miller leaves and they think, oh, we still, you know, rejuvenate themselves. Like, like you see happen sometimes. Now that's one that only lasts for a week or two, not the rest of the season. Um, the Broncos keep themselves in the playoff mix. Um, like I said, I think it's just one of those games that happens. I don't, you know, not much for me to take here. I think, and, and, and I'm going to repeat that, you know, like when we talk about the bills, I'm going to say that when we talk about, you know, some of these other teams down the road, I'm going to say the same thing. And, and I just think it, you know, sometimes there are fluky weeks. These past two weeks have both kind of had that. Um, and, and like I said, it's a long season. Some of these games are weird. Well, we'll have to talk about the bills. I'm just going to draw it back. I'll tease this a little bit. We took, we spoke about one game a couple of weeks ago or last week with the jets and the Bengals that we brought up. And I think we need to revisit that when it comes to the bills, Jags or Jaguars game, but we'll get that. Yeah. I, I agree with what you were saying. The Broncos matched up great for this, the Cowboys. They stopped them early on in this game on two fourth down calls, which I didn't think were bad calls on the Cowboys part. And then they, and then Dallas's defense just didn't show up this game after, you know, an emotional game where they kind of carried them for the most part in that one, holding the, the Vikings to 16 points throughout all those things. I just laid out are really one week things. The fourth downs, I think will, you know, law of averages will go, they'll get some of those fourth downs. And if I'm the Cowboys with that offensive line, with that run game, and it's fourth and two, I'm still going to go for it, especially like the, instead of a 40, 45 yard field goal, and even at the 20 yard line, because I'd rather take the opportunity to go for that fourth down, because with that offense, I have enough faith in them that they can get us in the field goal range whenever they want. I want to get the seven instead of the four. And then the defensive stuff, that's the only thing that I don't think carries is a thing where it carries over or a thing that you might worry about carrying over, but it's been a one week thing. They were amazing against the Vikings last week. So I'll wait to see if it plays out more. Like you said, it's a long season. One week doesn't define what you expect of this team, but it gives you a little bit of hints and something to look out for that could snowball into something that you actually have to worry about. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, you know, they're, they're just so unbelievably far up in the NFC East that it just doesn't even matter. Like the bills, on the other hand, they lose all of a sudden the Patriots are kind of working. There's no working team in the NFC East. Apologies to both of our teams. I mean, look, you're not saying anything wrong. And as if an Eagles and Giants fan can see this and, uh, and agree on that, and I assume every Washington football team fan will agree with us too. They, they mean, have bags. They have the bags over their heads already, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> going on there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, the Deshaun Watson Bowl in Houston versus Miami. Yep. I was a little surprised to see that this game went from Miami minus six and a half to Miami minus three and a half to four when two well, was out because well, of both the- both QBs changed throughout the week. You know, um, you know, uh, Tyrod was 
rumored to be back, but then come Thursday or Friday, he's officially back. And then on Sunday morning, you find out two is out. Um, you know, I've said in the past that I think two to Brissett's not that big of a difference. So I think, you know, to, so when Tyrod was back, it went from seven or six and a half to five and a half. I thought that was reasonable. When Tua was listed out and Brissett was in, it went all the way down to four and a half, four. I never saw three and a half, but I believe you, obviously. Um, that for me is a bit of an over-adjustment. Um, man, if you watched a lot of this game, respect, honestly, because I didn't, obviously. Um, I was, you know, busy watching actual, you know, NFL teams go at it. Um <laughs> And I think I think you've sort of seen this in the past with the Dolphins, right? You know, they scored um, – they can put up some points in the first half, and then I guess regardless of who plays a QB, they just kind of don't score in the second half. How could you not put this team away? They had so many turnovers. I mean, granted, you did too, but it just um, – you kept waiting for the gut punch. There was a total of three points scored in the second half. Um, and, and I, I mean, look, two really bad teams going at it, and, you know, we don't have to spend too long on this one. So, yeah. I, yeah. So I had seen six and a half, I think, on Saturday on DraftKings. And then when I came up to Sunday, because I had put the Miami Dolphins in, uh, I believe, a parlay with, I want to say the Rams, but I hope it wasn't the Rams. I think it was a different team, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But then I checked around game time and it was three and a half. So I I thought it was in just Tua for there. So I don't know what the, mm-hmm. I, I have to check, I guess, the line movement. There's not much to say about this one. Miami, you know, neither of these teams are going that far. I was looking more ahead. Miami, their next four is versus Baltimore on the Thursday night game at the Jets versus Carolina and versus the Giants. If they're going to have any chance of salvaging this season, they need to go at least three and one in that well, stretch. And, and this is a team that benefits nothing from tanking, you know, bottoming out. I mean, you don't really see NFL teams, quote unquote, tank that often, um, you know, especially with so many weeks to go. But this is a team that, you know, should be playing for pride as much as any team, you know, because they don't have the first round pick. No, I completely agree. Okay, let's get off this game. Wasn't not not a lot to talk about. Atlanta, New Orleans. It's not another like you know. This is actually like a pretty good game. It doesn't it feel like that way on that surface, but yeah, it, I mean, it, you look at the records. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you don't think of either of these teams, especially with the Saints with Trevor Simeon. You don't expect much out of these teams going forward. But it was still very, it was a very good game. This was a classic letdown spot for the Saints after the big win for Tampa. I actually wrote Atlanta on Sunday, and I wish I, I put I wish I put them in my picks. I thought that seven points that they were getting when you're going against a Trevor Simeon offense is just too much because I want that that upside of an offense to put up the actual points that's necessary to to have that and I, I was shaking at the end I was like a little nervous at the end obviously because the Falcons looked like they put this one away they were up 24 to 6 with eight minutes left in the fourth and then with one minute left they're down 25 to 24 to Trevor Simeon it felt like a almost classic collapse for the Falcons that we hadn't seen at all this year that we had normally seen in years past yep the Falcons definitely tried their hardest to Falcon this game I mean I don't know how else to put it you know the Man, the Falcons could be at 40 in the fourth quarter against the Dolphins, and you'd still think there's a chance because I just think it's, you know, it's kind of what they do. They let up uh, 22 points in the fourth quarter. They had they ended up being down and had to drive down the field to get the the walk-off with a, you know, on the back of a great catch by Cordell Patterson. Um, these teams are both in the mix. And like we talked about with the AFC, I mean, there are 12 good teams in the AFC. And like I said, I would take all 12 of them over the Falcons. And given that Jameis is out for the season, I would probably take around 10 of them over the Saints as well. And yet both of these teams very well might be in the playoffs. And, and you know, it just goes to show the difference between the conferences right now. Um, you know, the Falcons are a below average NFL team. And they might be in the playoffs. I mean, um, I guess I can only say the same thing in so many different ways. But yeah, yeah I thought um, 
you know, kudos to them for staying resilient. They're a little bit feisty. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how their season develops. The Saints, you know, it's tough to hold on for dear life to your playoff spot when you're five and two in the first place, but that's kind of what they're going to try to do. I mean, you know, it's different when a guy like Simeon comes in for, you know, at the end of a game or in the middle of a game and nobody was ready for it, but then a team sort of prepares for it. And you saw they got absolutely shut down in the first half to the tune of zero points and only three points in the third quarter. I mean, it took them a while to get going. Obviously. Yeah, no, they had to, they didn't get Alvin Kamara. I thought like involved that much in the first half. They started to get him more involved in the second half as a receiver you know, they, I agree with what you're saying. You know, they were, they're holding on for deal life right now. We'll see if they make a move for a quarterback, whether that's, you know, the rumors of will they contact Phil Rivers? I think that's their best case scenario when it comes to that. Maybe, maybe they start to put Taysom Hill in. Maybe it was just a one week thing where Taysom Hill was the gadget guy as opposed to the actual quarterback. I don't know. I think I'd rather, like, who would you rather have Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill if you're a New Orleans Saints fan? Well, I think, I think they tried it last year because remember Breeze was out and Taysom was the starter rather than Jameis for a couple of those games and it didn't really work. Yeah, but that's, but that's Jameis or Taysom. I would definitely take Jameis there. And they they, they showed that in the week one when they were like, Jameis is the starter. No, but, but I'm just or saying, Trevor Simeon. No, but I'm just saying that they tried the full-time Taysom offense yeah. and it didn't work. And, you know, you can't necessarily do – like with Simeon, you can do, I don't know, 70% of what you're doing with Jameis or, or 50% of what you were doing with Breeze or however you want to phrase it. You can't really do that with Taysom. You have to sort of reimagine everything. Now, on the other hand, the Saints don't really have a ton of, like, offensive weapons to begin with outside of Kamara, obviously, um, because they've been so injury-prone. Now Michael Thomas is hurt again. So maybe you are better off trying to be some sort of ground-and-pound team. Um, problem with that is then teams are going to put eight in the box against you the entire game and dare you to throw. But um, – I don't know. I, I, you know, I think I'm of the belief that they've given Taysom Hill more than enough opportunities to show that he can be a full-time starter. And there's a reason that he isn't. Okay. Very, very valid. I think I would go with Taysom over Trevor. I just, I've seen Trevor Simeon be the starting quarterback for a team. We saw uh, before this, even this one game against the Falcons, we saw him when he was in Denver and it was just never enough for me to feel confident with him, at least with Taysom. You know, you have at least some eliteness with him when it comes to his running ability and the aspect he gives you as a dual threat there, where as a passer, I don't necessarily think he's that much worse than Trevor Simeon, which, you know, isn't a high bar to set there, but I'd still rather have the dual threat with that offensive line they have. And if you want to go ground and pound with a defense that has been very good for them, obviously in this game, it wasn't great, but, you know, when your offense isn't really mustering anything, at some point it can snowball where you're just on the field all the time. No, it's, de it's definitely one of those Simeon higher floor, hill higher ceiling things, right? Because if you have Simeon, like we said, you're holding on for dear life. You're trying to be the sixth or the seventh seed. And you are not, it's not you might, you are getting bounced in the first round. End of story. Mm -hmm. um, with Taysom, you know, it could be interesting. So in that sense, I do agree. But like I said, I think the Saints have been looking for an excuse to make him the starter and they haven't found one. So I think there's something to be said for that. Last thing I want to say, great game for Matt Ryan. I mean, we haven't spoken about him. With His top two receivers were Corderell Patterson, who's been very good this year, obviously, and then Russell Gage, and he still had 343 yards and two touchdowns versus a very good defense. So yeah. I, I just think props are there for him. And in all the crazy NFL news that got sort of gotten lost in the mix, we never even talked about the fact that Calvin Ridley just flat out retired like on, on a Sunday or something like that, um, or a Monday, you know, whatever it was. Um, so, and there's not much to say to it, just like, you know, that's unfortunate, right? Because you had Julio and him the year prior, and now you have neither of them. 
Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, there's not much to say. He he has to deal with what he has to deal with, and hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. But, yeah, there, there's not much to say. It sucks for the Falcons, but this isn't a team that's really got those Super Bowl aspirations. This is a team that's hoping to sneak into the playoffs like they are in, they are positioned right now yeah. where they're a half game up on the uh, on the next closest team for the last spot in the All wild right. card. So, so let's get to Raiders-Giants. And I just want to say – I'll give it to you, the, the Giants fan – but I just want to say about the Raiders, a team that I've been pretty high on this year, at some point it just becomes too much, right? Like you would think your coach having this crazy leaked email scandal would be enough for one team. You know, that that's like one year's worth of turmoil. No, then you have the Henry Ruggs thing, which is obviously terrible. And then, you know, the icing on top is this whole Damon Arnett thing. So it's like a whole three-layer cake of just bad, you know, absolutely terrible borderline impossible to come back from at this point um you know i have a lot of respect for Derek carr not only as a player but as a leader and so i think like you know anything that they do beyond a total collapse is kind of a testament to him at this point um i'm still hopeful that they can make the playoffs but you know like i said you like to lose gruden is one thing and you rally around that but then you lose rugs then you lose Arnett in the same week it's just um it just it becomes too much. It just becomes too much for a team to overcome. And I sort of think that's what they're dealing with now. I thought you were going to take that into, oh, this is the start of the Raiders collapse that you've that you've referenced a few times. But well, it probably and like I'm saying, it realistically probably is. And that's why I said anything that anything above that is a testament to Carr's leadership. Yeah, but no, but, he, but this is but but this is different, right? You know, the Raiders collapsed in years past just because they were bad at football. This is like a I'm not gonna rip them for it because it's like it's too much. At some point, it becomes too much to overcome. And I sort of think they're at that point. Yeah, no, this is a testament to Derek Carr. I, I think you can really only take what you've seen from him out of this, out of the resiliency of what this team has, you know, overcome throughout all of those locker room issues that you were discussing. Obviously, there's nothing really to say about the Henry Ruggs thing. Same thing with the Calvin Ridley stuff and same thing with the Damon Arnett stuff. The Henry Ruggs and the Damon Arnett stuff is just ridiculous. Those guys. There's a little something to be said about the Damon. Yeah, those guys are. Those, what yeah. the fuck was that? Those guys are just idiots. Okay, that that's yeah. it. Like Calvin Ridley has every right to take a step away from mental health stuff. I completely support that. Those two other guys are just idiots. That's it. That, that's yeah. just it. They were stupid. They made stupid decisions, and they deserve. Now Damon Arnett has been released. Uh, I believe a couple of hours ago. Hours ago was broken. That that that's just what it is. As for this game for the Giants, great win. I thought this was a very good spot for them to steal one for this Raider against this Raiders team. The line was about three, three and a half. I would have jumped on if it was three and a half, but I saw it was at three around kickoff. The difference maker was Xavier McKinney, the second round pick that they got in the 2020 draft, who was absolutely insane. And it's weird to say that for, you know, a safety, but two interceptions, a pick six, seven tackles, two passes defended. I was very excited when they took him in the second round because I felt like he fell to them. There. Definitely. Yeah, he felt like a guy that I thought was gonna be in the first round. And I remember on that draft when it got to like 18, 19, 20, and the Giants had like the 36 pick in the second round. I was like, oh my God, if this guy falls to us, I'm gonna be, I remember like 25, the Ravens were up, and I was like, oh, maybe they'll take him. But then went Patrick Queen, and then there was a couple of other guys, and it was just I was very happy. And the fact is that this guy came out and played and he played very well in this one and in a big spot. And this is a game that, you know, when this Giants team is trying to build up some momentum, this is a very key win. Daniel Jones played a solid game. Wasn't great. It was the same way that I was talking about when they played against the Panthers. He played a clean game. He didn't play an amazing game. He played a clean game and that was what was needed. He didn't turn the ball over. Derek Carr on the opposite end did turn the ball over. I said two interceptions. I believe he might have had an extra, another one. 
This is the first time the Giants under Dave Gellman haven't been two and seven through nine games, and they're three and six. There so, we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, this is what John Mara at the end of the season is going to be like. You know what? We're improving. We're going to keep Dave Gettleman around for another year, and I'm going to have to, you know, claw my eyes out at it. The, the unfortunate thing is that you look back to the Giants' loss against the football team early on in the year on Thursday night football, and uh, a couple things go different. You know, they almost get you know, gave the Chiefs a good game last week. This team is arguably maybe a little bit better than their record. Honestly, they're, they're definitely showing some signs of life. So I think um, it's probably too little too late, especially given how good the Cowboys have been. But um, it'll probably be like last year where they, where they finish around, you know, they'll probably go like seven and 10 this year. And, and you'll say they really showed some flashes in the second half. Let's see if we can do it, you know, in week one next year. And then you might be back where you started again, where it's a bad weeks one through four. And it's just the sort of cycle of the Giants. So they, they've got like five. I'm looking at their schedule right now. They've got about five, I think, very winnable games. So they got two versus the Eagles, one versus Miami, one versus Chicago, and one versus the football team. But like you said, the football team one where, you know, Dexter Lawrence is offsides for that game-winning field goal is going to come back and bite them. This is a team that would then be a half game out of the final wild card spot. And I still don't think that's out of reach. Like we've talked about with the – with the Falcons, they're not really that good. They're only one game back of them right now. I think there's room for a game and a half now because the, the Falcons had their bye. But there's still room for them to get in there. The football team game might just come back and bite them. I wouldn't be super pissed about it because as long as Dave Gettleman gets out after the season, I'm happy. That's just really I, – I just think it's baby steps at this point. Which, But the fact is, if you're harping on the fact that, like, they're 3-6 and six and they look fine, I mean, this team has had, since Dave Gettleman's been there, an insane amount of draft capital. I mean, they've had the second, the fourth, the sixth, the 11th overall picks in each of the drafts. They've spent more than, I think, about five teams in free agency for this team that's coming up, that the roster they have right now. So there is no reason to be, you know, optimistic and, oh, this team's trending in the right direction if they're three and six right now. This is a team that should be four and five, five and four or better than that at this point. And the fact that they're not is just another testament against or a testament to how bad their GM has been. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't have anything else in this game. Yeah. New England, Carolina, New England taking care of business and one. I'm officially done with Sam Darnold. This was yep. this was the camel that broke. This was the the last straw, the camel that broke the hump's back. I think that's a saying. One of the, I, he, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. It's yeah. like a straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he had three picks in this one. One of them was a great play by the defensive lineman, but the other two were just absolutely atrocious picks. And when you when you continuously do that, I mean, it's your fourth year in the NFL. You cannot be doing this anymore at this point. I thought he had turned a corner early on where, you know, he's showing some flashes there. Then Christian McCaffrey goes on. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to reserve a little bit of this because he's got a little bit tougher schedule. Christian McCaffrey's not out there. I know how much he means to this offense, but now Christian McCaffrey's back and he still looks like the same kind of quarterback where he's turnover prone he's trying to do too much and he's losing his team games in this one it was 14 to 6 and they're driving and he throws I don't know where I don't know how he overthrew I think it was Ian Thomas by so much and then JC Jackson picks it off and returns it back for a touchdown yeah 20 to 20 to 6 just real quick on that pick six it was the rare pick six where like you know for as long as it was it was like 85 90 yards um and I guess you can kind of say this about the Denzel Ward one as well but you know, it, it took J.C. Jackson running all about 20 yards for you to realize, oh, this is definitely a house call. Like, um, it was one of those where just as soon as he got it, he was gone. Patriots, 4-0 on the road, 1-4 at home. They might be looking to pack up that stadium soon in Foxborough. 
um, and just play all their games on the road the way they're going. Um, that's a playoff team right there. Well, it's tough because, like I said, there's a million good playoff teams in the AFC, and there's only seven spots. Um, but, you know, they, they look to be a legitimate threat. They really do. Yeah, they're definitely a playoff contender. Their, their defense has been – continues to play really well, fourth in points per game allowed, first in interceptions, 12th in sacks, and 11th in total defensive DVOA. I mean, that's just all around. You're doing it pat, rushing the pass. You're doing it creating turnovers. You're doing it all around there. And they're only a half game back of the Bills in for the first in the division, and they're on a three-game winning streak with the Browns coming up in a very winnable game. Would you take Pats plus 350 to win the division? No, because I think um, I think I think the Bills still have two games against the Pats, and I expect them to win both. And I know the Bills have a really easy schedule the rest of the way, save for one game against Tampa. Um, I wouldn't. I just. Yeah, no, I, I agree. If you look yeah. at their schedule, they got two games versus the Jets, one versus Atlanta, one versus Carolina at New Orleans with Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill, and then two games versus the Pats. There, there's not much there. I don't see the Pats sweeping them. I could definitely see them taking one of those. It'd be weird if they did the one on the road, like you're saying, they're 4-0 on the road, 1-4 and at home. I think it has to do a little bit with the teams. Obviously, that, that Dolphins one, Dolphins one, they probably should have won if Damian Harris doesn't fumble, but they, they lost it. But I, yeah, I, I just think it's too hard given the fact that the Bills have that many easy games in the second half of their schedule. But we've seen they, they lose to the Jags and, you know, maybe maybe it, uh, maybe it snowballs. Uh, speaking of that game, let's talk about it. This is the second week in a row we saw the Buffalo Bills offense start out really on a, in a slow start. But in this one, they never really got it going in the second half like they did versus Miami. And it's definitely something to monitor. I, will, I teased this early on. We talked about how, like, the bang, the Bills don't drop these games when we were talking about the Bengals and the Jets. But now they've dropped one of these games. So is it? A t- I think it's time to at least reevaluate a little bit this Bills team because they haven't shown to dominate these teams. And we've seen the, their, their main game is against the Chiefs that we look back on. It's like, okay, that was an impressive win. But we just saw the Chiefs almost lose to Jordan Love and the, and the, and the Packers at home. So obviously it isn't the end-all, be-all. But this isn't nothing, same way that the Jets' loss isn't nothing to the Bengals. Agreed. No, I think that's well said. And, and, you know, we saw signs of it last week against Miami before they got a couple scores late and made the score look a little better. Um, I mean, you can't score a single touchdown against the Jags. Um, You know, and the Jags win the Josh Allen Bowl. It's just – and it's not even – I don't even have that much to say positive about the Jags necessarily. I mean, you know, like other than the fact that Josh Allen, the defensive end, was the better Josh Allen on the field, like I said before. Um, I don't have a ton of great things to say about the Jags. I mean, they couldn't score either. You well, know? their defense, you got to give them props. I mean, yeah, like not, not You mentioned Josh Allen. I just think the defense as a whole, especially after getting diced up by Geno Smith last week. That's very true. Now, that is true. The defense as a whole obviously played well. Um and the Bills, you know, they were committing penalties. They were constantly forced into, you know, first and long, second and long, third and long. Um, managed to pick up a few, obviously, but you can't get you can't get every third and fifteen. You can't get every third and twenty. Um, and they just couldn't score, man. And, and I mean, it's it's weird. It's weird. It's a red flag. We viewed the Bills as the best team in the AFC, kind of because we had to, not because we actually believed it. Because you know it was the Bengals and and they lost to the Jets and it was the Titans, but then they lost Derrick Henry and the Chiefs are bad and the Browns are bad and it's like okay and it's like the Ravens are off injured, so it's like okay, fine, I guess it's the Bills. And of course, with the way like in the fashion of the way the AFC's been going this year, then they 
they put up a stinker against the Jags on, on the week prior of doing the same against the Dolphins. So now it's like, is this team even better than they, than they were last year? Yeah, I, I don't know. There, there's so many, like, there is no clear definitive team. If I had to look at probably the top five teams that I would take to win the Super Bowl, they're all in the NFC at this point. I don't think you, I don't think that's a bold statement to say you, there's not that clear cut team in the AFC, given all the things that you said, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Baltimore, whether it's Kansas City, whether it's Buffalo, where there's a lot of questions there. And even like a team, like, you know, I'm looking at the division leaders right now, chargers. We just saw them go beat Philly by three points. That That's not, a, that's not, that's not something that I can really hang my hat on. We've no, seen it's them hard get to picture any of the AFC teams actually lifting the Lombardi at the end of the season. It really is. I just, it's hard to picture in your head. What would have to play out for one of those teams to actually get it done? I don't know. I, that's where I thought Buffalo was the team, but the, if the offense isn't going to be what we thought it was, then, then, then that throws them out of the picture complete or not completely because of the fact that there's no other team that I could see going or no other team that's been as healthy and and clicking on all cylinders that they could potentially be but it's something that when they go up against the nfc team that you're really gonna have to you know sit there and walk and sit there and kind of think about really what would you what do you expect from them coming out and going up against a team like the bucks a team like the rams a team like the cardinals who without their quarterback and their top wide receiver go into san fran which is a very solid team and blow the blow the doors off of them i don't know i don't know what to really make of buffalo right now this was I'm going to, I don't like to boast my, my picks, even though I said the Atlanta one, I took the Jags money line. I was, I wanted to test out the Manning cast curse theory or the Manning cast curse. Do you see this? This thing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. I mean, I didn't put much on it, but yeah, plus five fifty was, it was a good payout. And I, I just, it's crazy that that's now a thing, but I just, I, it was so inexplicable in me. I was almost rooting against my bet hitting. Cause I'm like, this can't be the case. This can't be the case that the bills are going to drop this game to this Jacksonville team. And in the way that it is where their defense is stopping you consistently and the entire game where they're not scoring any touchdowns. All right. So here's an interesting bet I just came across. So I'll tell you the odds in a second. This is on DraftKings. Winning conference, so do you either you take the NFC or the AFC, and whichever team you know like wins the Super Bowl, um, it's sort of like taking your Super Bowl pick before you actually know what the teams are. What do you think the odds would be? I think it's NFC minus one forty. Yeah, very close, minus one thirty, and the AFC plus one ten. I kind of like that NFC number. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit, of, it's a little bit too much juice, but I, I still like. It's just the fact that. I, do I think that the odds could shift more towards that favor? Do I think Buffalo, Kansas City, whoever is coming out of the AFC will look better in the next five or six weeks and that number might come down? I think I'd like to take that number and where, you know, maybe if Arizona weakens a little bit or if we see the the, the Rams who didn't have that great of a performance against the Tennessee Titans come down, like I, I, I'd probably wait on that one before I actually took it, but I don't hate the number there because of, like we said, Five, the top five teams, I think, would all be in the NFC when it comes to who would I expect most to win the Super Bowl. If it was, you know, a round of 64 and or not, around, but just, you know, mixing and matching, not just based on conference seating, I would like to I would I think I would rank top five as all NFC teams at this point. Dude, I just can't stop looking at these AFC standings, man. There are there are five, five and four teams, a four and three team and three, five and three teams. It's just unbelievable how deep it is yeah and that's that just gets me thinking sort of back to what we were talking about with the bet that like i would love to see 
you know, you don't see this as a lot in the NFL. I would love to see just an absolutely wild AFC playoffs where who knows what team is, let alone get in. But then, you know, what if the six and the seven are playing each other in the conference championship or just things like that. And I think, you know, if there were ever a year, this could be it. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you look at it like, look, Kansas city could sneak in there and they're the six or seven seed. It's a, but then you could also have, you know, the Browns there, a Browns team that, you know, potentially could be the six or seven seed and they're still good enough. They haven't like the Odell Beckham, loss I think will still be will still linger there but I mean they've done it before where they've they've reached or they've had accomplishments in the right in the postseason without them and even a team like you know Cincinnati a team like Pittsburgh New England you know can can be feisty there because I don't think there's then necessarily that drop off because the top teams have been dealing with either roster or just you know their units haven't been clicking on all cylinders like we expected like the the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas City Chiefs or they've got injuries like the Titans and the Ravens. Speaking of the, yeah, I was going to go to the Ravens, uh, Ravens Vikings game. Yep, exactly. The last 1 p.m. or um, the Vikings, just an uncanny ability to play up and play down. It really is. It's really something special. And that's why, in many ways, I was kind of rooting for them to lose. I would like them to be eliminated from the playoffs and just sort of not have to worry about them anymore because it's so weird. It's, um, I've been saying all year, you know, them and the Saints, it's just impossible to tell. With the Saints, you'll never know because now Jameis is out. Now with the Vikings, now I know. They just play up and down the competition. And, 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 you know, I'd say I've never seen anything like it, but they've kind of been doing it for years now. Meanwhile, the Ravens' impressive resilience, another double-digit comeback for the Ravens, which was a knock on them in the past. Um, I've been high on them for a few weeks, calling them the zombie Ravens, as they've sort of, you know, kept it moving even, you know, in spite of their injuries. And I stand by that. I mean, it, it probably took a little longer than it should have been OT, but then they got the job done. Um, another OT win for the Ravens. Um, and uh, just uh, a wild game, really a wild game. This might be the team. I might have to look at some odds for the Ravens to make the Super Bowl for the AFC because given of what we saw, like I've been speaking about where there's injuries on other key teams, they've been still churning out wins against good teams, even despite the injuries they've had. And they've obviously been able to manage them really well. And Lamar's playing at an MVP caliber uh, or an MVP level at this point. As for Minnesota, I mean, at some point they got to look at these last second losses and the fact that they're losing them consistently. And you need to look at the top two spots, the head coach and the quarterback there, because the Vikings are one in four in games that have come down to the wire, including 0-2 in the last two weeks against the Ravens and who is the one? Cowboys. And the Cowboys. Yeah. And the only one they have is versus the winless Detroit Lions. And then you look at the Ravens on the flip side, they're four and one in those games. So if your head coach and quarterback aren't coming through in those spots, consistently then it's time to look at you know upgrading or making a change there because when you look at the Ravens they know they got their quarterback and their head coach and they're winning those games I wouldn't be not I I know those games are a little or those situations are a little bit fluky so that's where I wouldn't hammer a team oh you're two and three instead of three and two or you're two and three and stuff but if you're losing if you're one and four and your only win is against the Detroit Lions in those cases at some point you need to look at your quarterback and your head coach and be like you know, the, like there, there might need to be a change, at least in one of these aspects. I think it yeah. should be both, but at least I, one. I, I agree. But but remember, one of those losses was on a missed field goal against Arizona. Right. And that has nothing to do with your quarterback or your coach. Um, so, well, I think it has to deal with your coach because they gave up, I think, 34 points in that one or 33 to lead up to it. Well, well, yes. But first of all, it was against the Cardinals, right, who are probably, you know, one of the best, if not the best offenses in the league. And secondly, you had a field goal to win the game. Um, so, 
that one is uh, that that's a tough one, you know, to blame. I, I do think you kind of have to mix it up because you have a lot of talent and you should be an 11 win team and you're perennially a seven or eight win team, maybe nine on a good year. Um, but that's what, but I, I want to go back to that. That's where you, you know, the, the Detroit Lions one, the, the one that was, you know, a, la, a very last second thing that they had to come back and win that one. It's like the law of averages where normally it should even out at that point. But if you're below average at the quarterback or below average at quarterback head coach, the duo there, then it, it, it makes sense that you're below 500 in that in that category and well below it. If you're winning 20 percent of those games, that's not going to cut it if you want to make the playoffs and be a, an actual contender. Like you said, there, there's talent all around this roster. I, when we did the previews, I thought this was the second best team in the NFC North. I don't think they're not there, but they're not playing like it. They're not coming away with the victories there. And in a very winnable or a very, in a division where they can be the second best team and, you know, pushing for that wild card spot. They're, they're kind of, yeah, I mean, uh, they still, especially if the Bears lose tonight, they probably still are the second best team. But like you said, it's like, they're like tied for second with the bears now and they really should be like you know five and three four and four pushing for that playoff spot like, like you said i'd expect them to be where the saints are because they actually have the core i mean yeah I, i'd expect them to be around where they are they should be at least where the falcons are at four and four in the the last spot for the wild card at this so point given the roster. Those games like you said exactly okay let's get to your team i'll give it to you what you what you think about the Eagles just narrowly losing to the Chargers? Yeah, the Eagles, uh, a run-first football team. Who would have thought um, for the third time in nine games, the opposing team did not punt once? Um, it's not happened that many times. You know, it doesn't happen very often. It's happened three times in nine games. Uh, this, the, the famous schemeless defense from D.C., Jonathan Gannon, is beyond questionable. Um, you know, the defensive players, you know, Fletcher Cox said some stuff in the past. Javon Hargrave was asked about it this week. He basically just said, don't ask me. I just do my job, um, which I feel like if you like the system, you'd probably give a different answer. Um, I think um, I think Jalen is showing flashes. I think the reality is the Chargers got stopped on two massive fourth downs early in the game. And had they not, this game wouldn't have even been close. Um, and, and so I think. Good for the Chargers to get back on track. Eagles, wow, like the Patriots, really struggling at home. Owen Ford home, these Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they hate playing at the link. Yeah, maybe, maybe them and, and the Patriots should swap stadiums. Um, who knows? Um, so I, I just think uh, it's in many ways a step forward, right? Because if you consider the Chargers to at least be on the same level as like the Raiders, then it's good to hold, to hold tight with them. But again, you know, Herbert – um, was I'm pulling it up now. I believe it was, yeah, 32 of 38. And in, in the past week, you know, Carr was selling like 30 for 34. It's like these balls aren't even hitting the ground, right? And, and, and forced no turnovers other than the turnovers on downs, like I said, um, forced no punts. Um, just a really, really difficult thing to see getting a lot better, even with the improved run game. Yeah, when I saw the the Herbert number of the over eighty percent, I remember you talking about Derek Carr and how he was he was over eighty percent completion percentage, and it just it baffled me there. I, I like that you brought up the fourth down point because we've consistently talked about you know the the Chargers and their willingness to go for on fourth down. I'm pro whenever they have done it. You are more in the middle where they shouldn't well, be. He, he he's the you know, he's the boldest coach since Eagles legend Doug Peterson. Um, you know, I feel like Doug sort of revolutionized, like how gutsy, how ballsy you can be in going for it. And for me, Staley takes it 
a touch too far. And I thought even Doug at times was like, Doug was like, you know, really towing the line for me of what I believe to be reasonable or not. And Staley goes past it. I didn't have a problem with either of the ones he did this game. Um, but I, I do think you look back, you know, there was the one on his own 20 against the Ravens. And then there was the one on like the fourth and 10 against the chiefs way earlier in the season. Those are two that I look at as too much, but you know, the point is um, look, yeah, they're really aggressive and they were able to recover from it this game. Exactly, because they start uh, – look, it's – I've referenced the law of averages. They start out red hot when it came to fourth down conversions, like you were talking about in that Chiefs game where they picked up a couple of key fourth downs in that one, and we have seen we saw it early on in the season. And then in the past couple of weeks, they haven't been as good, and I don't think that means you go away from it. In the same way, they were 0-2 to start out – or they were 1-3 before the last fourth down conversion at that point, and they still went for it. And it, it's just about maximizing your opportunities there. And the fact is – even though that they struggled on the first three or the first three uh, times they went for it on fourth down, they still went for it on that one when it's fourth and one on the Philly 28, yeah, did you, well within field goal range with 145 left in the fourth. Did you like that call? Yes, I loved it because I, you, you go one yard and you win the game. You, in theory, win the game. And even when you, it's not like they have Justin Tucker there. They've had their kicking woes. We've seen it from Chargers time and time again. Yeah. And the Eagles have been able to move the ball down the field. If they just need to get in field goal range, I'd rather go for the one yard with my 6'5 quarterback doing a QB sneak for one yard there. Staley made the, I thought, the right decision in that one. They got it. They were able to turn down the clock and they won the game without Jalen Hurts touching the ball again. I want my coach to do that. As a Giants fan, when I see my coach not want to do that, it actually makes me want to pull my hair out because I want my coach to go for the win. I don't want him to play to not lose and when you give when you go for the field goal there and the 45 yard even if your kicker makes it you're still giving Jalen Hurts a minute 40 a minute 40 there to go get in field goal range I, I like the odds for the Eagles to at least tie it yeah I think um I think I didn't like it when I saw them lining up for it um but in hindsight knowing that the QB sneak was the call I liked it a bit more you know that's the one knock on a guy like Eckler right you know it's tough to hand it off and say go power through and get a yard he's not that guy so um I thought with the sneak being the call, I liked it. Uh, I think more, I, I, that, I think that's what they tried with like Josh Kelly early on in the game and it didn't work, but they also tried to go, I think outside, like a toss to him. I don't know. I, I they, think, they did that. They did that one bootleg, like pick play on the goal line on the 98 yard drive that netted zero points. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I want to point out Devonte Smith really quick. Uh, five catches, 116 yards, 116 yards uh, when his quarterback threw for 162. Um that's very impressive. Um, you know, again, I, I've been saying like, I think, I think Devonta Smith has been very good. I think what's stopping him from being great is simply the situation he's in and the QB he has. I think there's no doubt that he's, you know, fantastic. And in any other year, he'd be the best rookie receiver, you know, had, had an opera for a guy like Chase. So I just think you know, he keeps doing his thing. He keeps killing it. Um, yeah. The level he's been doing this year and, no regrets about the pick or the trade up at, you know, if you were listening to me uh, around the time of the NFL draft, I want him really badly. And yeah, it's, it's been great. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I mean, Jamar Chase has been my guy. I know Devonta was your, was your guy coming out and it's been Jamar one. And then I think clearly it's been Devonta two as when it comes to wide receivers, Jalen Waddle, probably in that three to four, like three spot, but it's a tear down. And then we'll see what Rashad Bateman does as he becomes more acclimated. He's been very good to start out his career with the, the with the Ravens. But I do agree when you're with Jalen Hurts as your quarterback and the, the scheme that they run, where it's a lot of running, where it's a lot of read options and all the running it's not a lot of drawback and Jalen isn't the great passer that Joe Burrow is obviously. So it obviously limits, like you said, 116 yards out of 162 possible passing yards. I mean, that one of the metrics I like to look at when I'm, when I do like dynasty stuff is like a dominator ranking. It's how many receiving yards or your, the percentage of your receiving yards when it comes to the total passing yards. 
And yeah, that, so that's like a 70 percent right there. Ex- exactly. That's something that you look for for a guy to be as dominant as he is in that aspect. So that it, he's he has gone unnoticed in part because the low passing volume, but he, he's still been very good to the point where he's probably the second best wide receiver right now in the class. All right. So let me ask you this. Probably not the most interesting question if you're not one of us, but in in, in a one word answer, who's better, the Eagles or the Giants? Giants. I don't necessarily disagree. I, uh, yeah, I think it's close. I think the Giants are probably, you know, it, it could have been argued the Eagles were better at the start of the season and maybe the Giants have passed them since. I don't think it's like, it's not like a massive thing. Like I actually do have to take a second and think about it, but I, I like, I like the Giants ability defensively to, you know, we talked about the Eagles and how nobody was really to get incomplete passes against the Giants secondary has really stepped over the past couple of weeks against two pretty, like, I don't even know what to say about the Chiefs offense and we'll get to them next against the Green Bay Packers, but I don't know what to make of it. But the fact is they, they were, they were pretty good against him at home. And then Derek Carr, who's been lighting it up pretty much, they, they held him a lot when it came down to, they were able to move between the 20s, but when it came down to scoring the red zone, they held him. They held him and there you, and, you up, field goals. and you bring up those two teams who put up a combined like 75 points against the Eagles. So Exactly. So that, I think that's the, that's the backbone there. And I, I, the fact that the Eagles don't pass the ball that well is also something to pause for me because I like my passing game to be what I run through. And not that the Giants have been amazing there, but I'd rather take Daniel Jones when it comes to a passer than I will with Jalen Hurts. Yeah. But, you know, but now we'll, we will see two games in the back. Yeah, those will be some fun ones. Those exactly. will be some fun ones. Exactly. We might have to make like, you know, a bet on the pod to see, uh, you know, somebody wears like an Eagles jersey or whatever. Definitely. Okay. Now, I was just talking about this game. Chiefs. Against the Packers, no Aaron Rodgers, no Jair Alexander for the Packers. That's two of their three best players. If you think about the Packers, Jair Alexander, Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari hasn't been out there all season, so I won't count him. And then Devonta Adams, that's the three. And Aaron Jones, two of the four best players, their best defensive player. And they only lose by six with Jordan Love, who's the a rookie quarterback. I don't, I don't know what to make of this Chiefs team because the fact that they put up 13 points against this Packers defense when – you know, early on in the season, even when they were losing and they were kicking all these or they were turning the ball over as much as they were, they were at least putting 30s, 30 points or 30 plus points on the scoreboard. And they just haven't been able to do so. They've scored 36 points in the past three games combined. It, it, it's really, really bad. I mean, I feel like I've been on this for weeks now. Um, in spite of it, you know, it's funny. I, like I said, I felt like I've been on it for a while. I was claiming they weren't a playoff team. Lo and behold, a couple things break their way, and now all of a sudden they're five and four again. Maybe they will get to the playoffs. But and honestly, part of me kind of hopes they do, so I can aggressively bet against them when that day comes, because the line will be like too generous for the Chiefs. Um, but until then, look, Mahomes twenty of thirty-seven for one hundred sixty-six yards. I mean, that's a stat line for you know a Zach Wilson or for a. Jam for a Jordan Love, like they were showing Jordan Love stats, and it's like who would have thought that Jordan Love's the one, the guy, the guy that's actually making his first career start, or that there's only one guy making his first career start here. Yeah, you know, if you take away, if you take away the late pick, which obviously you can't do, but like up until that point, it could be argued Love was outdoing Mahomes, um, in, in in a duel with you know pool noodles rather <laughs> exactly. than yeah. swords. But but it, you know, so I think um, I just want to say you brought up Aaron Jones. I actually think. Um, while I do like believe Aaron Jones is a good player, I think you're kind of starting to see him not get phased out, 
but maybe preparing for life without him if they don't want to give him a large contract. Because I think you're seeing more and more I AJ Dillon. And he's I mean, he, well. he 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 signed one this past off season. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. But don't you haven't you noticed there's been more and more AJ Dillon lately? Yeah. And he's doing well. Yeah, no, AJ Dillon. I mean, that's why you take him second in the second round there. Uh, I, look, they can get out of our, they can get our, out of Aaron Jones's contract after next season. I agree that I was surprised they gave Aaron Jones a contract, even though it's a pretty good one where you're getting a top five to 10 running back at $12 million, $12 million a year. I'm not completely against paying running backs, but if you can get them at that solid deal, the same way that Nick Chubb makes about $12 million a year, I think that's right in the sweet spot there. Mm-hmm. And, but AJ Dillon has been very, uh, has been very impressive for them. I think that they, Matt LaFleur, who was previously with the Tennessee Titans before coming to, over to the Green Bay Packers, I think he wanted a Derrick Henry type guy. He's not Derrick Henry. I don't think he'll ever be. I don't think we'll ever see somebody that's Derrick Henry, but he wants his version of that. And I think that's what he's hoping AJ Dillon can be. And I sort he, of, he has I, been, he's been very solid for them. I sort of view them as like a little bit of an Ingram and Kamara thing. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's a great from, comp. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of how I look at them. Mm-hmm. As for the Packers, I, I can't feel, you know, if you're a Packers fan, you got to feel really good about your defense as a whole. The fact that you held the Chiefs to 13 points, even though they are like the Chiefs and there, there's obviously a funk that's about them. The same way with the Giants, I'll still look at it as like, you know, you're still, you still have to go out and do it. This is still a team that put up 31 against the football team three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. So it's not like they're not still not capable of doing it, but when it comes to the Jordan Love aspect of it, it's not like you're, it's not really what you're hoping for after a year of development in that system and where you're around them, where he wasn't really able to put up the numbers against a, a very bad Chiefs defense that's been run up and down the field consistently by everybody. Yeah, the Chiefs defense looked elite today and the Packers defense looked elite against the Chiefs offense. I mean, I don't even know, you know, where, where to begin. We, we'll do the Jordan Love thing first. I mean, um, I think if you sort of read the tea leaves, you could have seen this coming because when Rogers wanted out so badly, it's like you drafted a quarterback in the first round a year ago, go get a haul and go build around Jordan love. Clearly they were not ready to do that. And now it seems like it was sort of a given that Rogers would be out at the end of this next year, but maybe they're going to desperately try to keep him, Or maybe they're, you know, if they get rid of Rogers, they look to bring in like a, a Jimmy G or a Kirk cousins or something like that. And, and this, this just might be a dud of a pick. Um, it's tough to overreact that much, but I did just think, you know, he just looked flat out bad. And if you can't look good against the chiefs defense, it's going to be tough to look good against, you know, the bears or whoever else you're going to play down the road. Yeah. Like it's not, I'm not, completely out on Jordan Love because of one game, but it's not something that you can look at and be like, you know what? He 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 didn't even like there wasn't really the like those throws that even showed flashes where it's like you don't have to be like you don't have to be out on him, but there's absolutely no case for being in on him. Exactly. Like even the the long like his long completion at Randall Cobb, that was a chuck up and Randall Cobb made a nice play on the ball and he caught right. it for about 30 yards. Like that that's there was nothing really that I could see there like he played a clean game up until that last pick where, you know, you're kind of forcing things because you're trying to come back in the game, but there, there's really nothing there that I can hang my hat on. If I'm a Packers fan, I'm trying to think like, you know what, this is the future. This is a guy. And when, when Jalen Hurts was taken in the late second of the same draft and, you know, as much as, as much shit as he gets about people about whether or not he should be a, a starting quarterback in the NFL, he looks a hell of a lot better than Jordan Love does. And this was a guy that was taken in the late second round. I know he's probably more towards his finished pro like as a finished product than Jordan yeah. Love was, but I still think after a year of development, I'd expect a lot more out of him. Yeah. And just on the chiefs, I mean, look, we talk about this every week now, 
but um I maintain that it's just like a year from hell thing, but like, I, I don't think they're, they're like done, done and totally figured out. I don't even have anything to say about Mahomes this week. Don't you think Kelsey looks border on washed? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he looks like complete. Like I think he's in between where he was and, you know, the washed part of it. I, I don't think he's like close to the wash part, but his impact just hasn't been there. I don't, I don't know why. I think they're just, you know, they're just getting a lot very physical with him and maybe he's just not in it or he's playing through an injury or whatever, but he, he doesn't look the same. And I feel like it's been like three or four weeks since we've seen a bomb from them, like where you see the the 60 yard bomb to Tyree kill. And I know that's what defenses are taking away by going too high safety for most of the time and rushing for, and they're able to get home on Mahomes. But I thought it's just some way that Andy Reid and every and Eric Bieniemy, who you know, notice nobody's talking about him getting a head coaching job at the end of this season because this offense looks absolutely atrocious over the past month, and there shouldn't be talk if this is how they're going to continue. But I expect those two great minds that everybody loves to talk about would be able to scheme something together where this offense would at least find within the last month a forty-yard pass, a forty-yard touchdown pass at some point. Nice. Some some explosive play there. I, I don't know the Chiefs. I, I can't go off of them. I can't get out of, you know, uh, still believing that this team's going to turn it around at some point because I've seen it for three years where they've been those guys. And if they go through these stretches, I'm fine with it. We saw the Pats. I'm not going to compare what they've done in this, this three-year stretch to the Pats, their 20 years and even like in the same stretch here. But we've seen great teams have just stretches of issues, and I think this is just that. And I think they'll figure it out, and at some point, like we've talked about, the AFC is wide open. I think this will still be the team that I'd probably bet on to to make it out of there. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree that it's a um, a, a bad stretch. I think where we disagree is that I think it will last you know through the entire season. I just don't see them coming back this year. Like I said, I'm not giving up on the Chiefs as a whole, but maybe the 2021 season I am. Look, it, they like everyone likes to praise their their great drafting and all of this. I mean, they're they're great. They're drafting. Look, Miko Hardman and it makes key drop has key drops. He hasn't been the difference maker you want as a second round pick. And I, I can go back down the line of guys that were taken behind him or in in pass or in pass drafts where you, that you could have had Clyde Edwards Alaire even before he was out. You could have had Jonathan Taylor. You could have had DeAndre Swift. You could have had Cam Akers. You could have much bigger difference makers to this offense that would have added another dimension. And Clyde Edwards Alaire is not dynamic like you expect they would want like they have with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I just want to check really quickly what the odds are for the Chiefs to make the Super Bowl from the AFC. Uh, I got it up right now. Signing good. They're plus 650. They have the fourth best odds. It's Bills plus 250, Titans plus 450, Ravens plus 550, and Chiefs plus 650. Honestly, these odds are unfortunately, in my opinion, like actually good odds. Um, The only team I see as value would be Brown 16 to 1. That's what I was looking at. I was looking at that too. Uh, That's the only team where they have the roster there that I could see them definitely making a case. And they, it's wide open there. And they have, they are a team that, they can lock you down from the passing game perspective, like we saw against the Bengals. They can get after you with Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett, and they have the offense that can punch you in the mouth and make things really difficult and make it a grinded out game that I think could cause some issues in a one game playoff. And if you don't have the Chiefs where their explosive offense or the Bills in their explosive offense that are clicking there, I think they definitely have a, a case there. And at 16 to 1, that's really good odds. Yep.
Okay, last game of the 4 o'clock slate, Arizona-San Fran. This was a pathetic game by the 49ers. You're going in, there's no Kyler Murray, there's no DeAndre Hopkins, and Cole McCoy completed over 80% of his passes. James Conner, 173 total yards and three touchdowns, and the Niners had three turnovers and five sacks given up. So while the Cardinals, on the other end, had a backup quarterback and had zero turnovers and two sacks, your team is doing that. So instead of being tied with the Falcons for the final wildcard spot, they are now in the mosh pit of teams with of six teams with three wins in the NFC. And they only have three games that I think when you look at their schedule, they will definitively be the favorite where it's Jet versus the Jags, Falcons at home and Texans. And you can look back at this game. Like I was talking about the Giants and the football team. This is a game that you can look back on as a Niners fan where you lose to Cole McCoy and you're like, and it's the difference between you making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. And this is another team that can't win at home, man. Owen Ford home. Really? Um, Yeah. Look at that. Um, so I, I, I look, I agree with everything you said. And it was early too. It was 14 nothing. You know, the like you look Two away. Seconds. Look, yeah, exactly. You, you look away for a second and it's 14 nothing. And, and you're like, wait a minute. Are we sure Kyler and, and, and DeAndre Hopkins aren't playing today? Are we sure Chase Edmonds went out in, in the first quarter? Because um, James Conner was looking like, you know, the guy that we might, that we thought he might have been in Pittsburgh, you know, early on. Um, I, I, I think, you know, sometimes when we do this every week, Sometimes I feel like a broken record talking about some of this stuff. And the Niners is another one of those teams where it's like, yes, they're talented, but they keep getting injured. And, you know, the talent sort of starts to disperse. Like, you know, you get rid of um, you get rid of like DeForest Buckner to the Colts, you know, over time. And these guys get hurt and you guys go elsewhere and and um, guys leave and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and next thing you know, it's, it's like it, it's just not the same defense that made the Super Bowl. You know, Sherman's gone and I can go on and it's just it's not the same team. The offense, all this like George Kittle. I mean, he's even more washed than Kelsey. But he, mean, had a, he had a good game. Yeah, but he like he's just not that guy. He was that guy for a year. You know, look, I'm not gonna go as far as say like, oh, he's like the Peyton Hillis of tight ends. But like, look, the fact is like he had an amazing year, and then he's he's kind of injury prone, and he's just not gonna be that guy again. Um, and so I I just think, uh, and maybe it's a little unfair to point the finger at him this game, but you know I, I stand by it. Like, um, they're just not that good of a team. They're, they're really just not. And Lance didn't look amazing. And it's just, it, it's weird with, with San Fran because everyone was so high on them going to the year. A lot of people thought they were the best team in the NFC West. They might've had the best odds to win the division. I remember it was like a bold thing for me to say. I remember I said this in week one, two or three, I was like, I think this is the worst team in the division and they are. Um, so I, I think, I think, um, I don't even know. I don't even know because you look at Kyle Shanahan. He had one amazing season. He's been really bad outside of it. Is it bad luck? Is it bad coaching? It's hard to say. Um, so I think it's just like, I don't want to just keep saying it's bad, but like, yeah, it, it sucks for the Niners because they, they, they're hyped every year. They're talented, but they, uh, you know, over and over again, can't really get it done. Yeah, I think they were preseason. I think they were right there with the Rams when it came to odds to win the division. I think they were both like, I think Rams were like maybe like plus 120 and these guys were plus 130 or 140. Mm-hmm. I'll push back on the George Kittle thing. I don't think he's washed. The guy's like 26 or 27. Obviously age isn't, isn't everything, but it's not to the point like Kelsey, who's 32. And you can point to the age where it's washed. I think it's just, he still had a very good game. He had a pretty sick one-handed catch too. And it's just working his way back from injury. But this is a team where, you know, their secondary is really bad. Like I was talking about, Cole McCoy completely over 80% of his passes. Didn't seem to have any issue moving the ball up and down the field. They have that great defensive line still. 
but your secondary is just washed at this point. I mean, Jason Barrett's been out. They don't have Richard Sherman, who, I mean, say what you want about him. He was very good for them when he played there. And then the Kyle Shanahan aspect of it, I mean, he might be the most, like, he's a super great offense corner, but he might be over, like, so overqualified as a head coach and evaluator when it comes to talent that it might be his downfall at this point because they've missed out on the ability to, you know, figure out these other holes that this team has when they've gone out and they've gotten more in, interior defensive linemen in Javon Kinlaw. They've gotten another wide receiver in Brandon Ayuk instead of addressing, you know, the corner situation. Or, or the safety situation or just other aspects of this team. And then they, then they went all in on a quarterback that didn't really look that good when he did play. And now you, you go back, you resort back to Jimmy who he, he plays up and down there. I think they they were hoping to draw up his trade interest to potentially move off from either at the trade deadline or in the, or at the end of the season, but it's not really looking to the point where you'd get significantly more value out of him because I don't think he's been that good. No, and, and we talked about this before with the Niners. It's like, are you gonna are you gonna punt your season and say, okay, let's see what we have with Lance, or are you gonna try to make the playoffs with Jimmy G and improve his trade value? Well, unfortunately, a game like today, you managed to accomplish neither because Lance is on the bench and Jimmy G looks like crap against a team of backups. So, um, well, the it, defense didn't have backups. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. of course. Um, but look, the fact is, dude, I mean, they only score 17 points. They don't score a lot of points. And the Cardinals' defense is good. I don't think they're the best in the league by any means. I mean, they're, they're, they're talented. They fly around the field. But no, I don't think they're the best defense in the league or anything like that. Um, so they're, they just don't score a lot of points. They really just don't, the Niners. So you got to score 28-30, and they score like 17. You that's know? my issue with that's my issue with a Jimmy G and why I don't think he would drum up that much value because you know what he is and it's not a guy that's going to be the quarterback for a high octane offense. It's a guy that's going to manage the game for you. It's a guy that's better operated through a team that's a run heavy first team with a defense that can keep keep the the other yeah, team in like the twenty one to twenty four range. He's probably closer to Jared Goff than Cousins. Yeah, I I think so. I I think Cousins is. I mean, as much as I was talking down about him, I'd still when take you, him. When you called him. When you called him below average, I thought that was a little disrespectful because when yeah. you go through no, the no, it was it's the du- it's, it's the, hard to put him at 17th. You know, it's hard to find 16 guys better than him. I think the duo of him and Mike Zimmer is below average. Oh, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah that I, I think is below average as opposed to just Kirk Cousins. No, I think we both said Kirk Cousins. I think is closer, like around 16 or higher when it comes to court because. Uh, you brought up this point. You like to say that these guys are like, oh, this guy's the 20th best quarterback, but then you try and go through and you can't really exactly find those guys. Like if you've ever, if you've ever been caught out, not in a lie, but if you've ever been caught out like that and someone goes, so like if, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, Kirk Cousins is definitely below average. Okay. Like, you know, take out a pen and a paper, take out your notes app and name 16 guys that are better than Kirk Cousins. And you can include Deshaun Watson. You can include Russell Wilson. You can include guys who aren't playing. And it's hard. It's hard to name 16 guys that are genuinely better than Kirk Cousins. And I think that's sort of where it gets caught up. But I do think a guy like Jimmy G or Jared Goff is probably around like 20. Like they are genuinely slightly below average quarterbacks. Completely agree. Completely agree. And that. This goes along with what I was saying last week about the Baker Mayfield stuff with the case when I was relating it to case came and what, how Minnesota or how Cleveland should look at what Minnesota is right now, because you've talked about those guys, even a Kirk cousins, who's making the, who's like around the 16th best quarterback, those guys are getting paid $28 million a year or more. And then you have, you know, look, the rookie quarterbacks haven't been great, but those guys are making one to $2 million a year. And it goes along with like the George, like 
all this stuff, it, I think it has to be added in a context where it's like, okay, this guy could be the 16th best quarterback, but he's, but the amount that he's making in money isn't making up the difference between, you know, him and the 10th best quarterback or him in the top five quarterback. He's, those guys are exponentially better and are a value at their draft cap or at the amount of money that they're getting paid. Yeah. Well, you get caught in this. Do you believe it? Like, like, Oh, if he's your guy, then you got to pay him like a franchise guy. And, and, and that's sort of, and you, and you wasted a, or not wasted, but you spent a top five draft pick on this guy, you know, especially as it pertains to Baker and Jared Goff and, and, you know, some of these other guys. And so you end up in this spot where it's like, you know, guys don't, guys aren't taking 18 to 20 million anymore, which is what a Baker Mayfield is worth, which is what a Jimmy Garoppolo is worth, which is what a Jared Goff is worth, which is what, you know, a Kirk Cousins is probably worth. And, and so, no, instead, these guys are become market setters. Kirk Cousins is getting 35 million. Um, you know, Jared Goff was the most expensive contract of all time when he signed it, like Kirk Cousins was. And so that's sort of what you see over and over again, especially with these guys who benefit from being on good teams. Like, of course you were going to extend Jared Goff. The Rams were being fantastic. They had made the Super Bowl, but the reality is it didn't have a lot to do with Jared Goff. And when Baker Mayfield gets extended, he's going to say, look, this franchise used to stink. And now I brought us to being a playoff team. But the reality is, you know, a league average quarterback, which you may or may not be, probably could have done the same thing because the team around you was really, really talented when it happened. Exactly. And as a Giants fan, that's what, you know, I, I want Daniel Jones to prove that he's the top 10, top five guy where it's not a question about it, whether or not we should pay this guy. It's just we're going to pay him how much and, and it's end of story at this point. And I think you, no matter what the draft capital is, the sunk cost of the amount of years that you are then extending this guy the four to five years and the 40 million and the amount that you're taking out of your team is a lot worse than the sunk cost of you know a top five pick that you spent on a guy and you experimented whether or not this is like i'd rather they take the chance there i i would i would have been so much happier if they took if the giants took sam darnold and sam darnold is what he is now than taking saquon barkley at two because at least you take the shot there at your quarterback and you can figure out, you can find out if this guy's there because the upside of having that top 10, top five guy there is so much better than having a top two or top five running back. No, I definitely agree. Um, yeah. And so, and so like if I'm the giants and I'm looking at Daniel Jones, it's like, can we give him a deal? That's not the five or six year deal. That's not the top of the market that would be cheap for a starter but expensive for a backup. Like I would love if I'm the giants and I'm so uncertain about Daniel Jones, can we do two for 30? Can we do three for 50, you know, on the more upper end of it? The reality is you probably can't because he might look around and say, Oh, the Broncos are offering me three for eight. The, the Texans are offering me four for a hundred. So it just becomes hard. But I, I think like, you know, like I said, if I was the giants, I'd be looking to do like two for 30, three for 50. The reality is it's just not going to happen. No. And then, you know what, when the GM and the, when the GM decides not to sign that guy, when, if Andrew Berry decides not to sign Baker Mayfield to the massive contract and he wants to offer him the 20 to $25 million range, or maybe a little like right in that range, I'll give props to them because they understand the value in not overpaying for your quarterback or putting them in that point where they're making 20% of the salary cap. Okay. Let's get to the last game. Tennessee, the Rams, we need to start talking about the Titans seriously. It's not, it's not the flashiest, you know, it's not the top teams. It's not the Rams where they're throwing out 60 yard bombs and we're just like, Oh my God, this is insane. 
but they get it done and we've overlooked them a little bit. We, we, we've made note of the fact that they've beaten the chiefs, they've beaten the bills and they've beaten good teams. And, you know, then they had the impressive win against the Colts, despite the fact that it was a clear letdown spot. The offense still has the question marks with no Henry because they didn't really do that much in this game. They scored 14 points um, on this one. It was a lot of the defense setting them up. They had the pick six, then they had the, the like pretty much set them up at the three yard line on the interception, the goal line. But I can't overlook this Tennessee Titans defense anymore. And that has been the major point because look, Stafford still like was able to get time in the pocket. I, I thought that they generated generated pressure really well, but Stafford had the second longest average time to throw the entire season for him in any game. And he still struggled to really put anything together passing wise because they dropped seven into coverage and they were fine with rushing four. And at some point they were going to get home with Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry or whoever else. I just, I've been very impressed with them. I'm still not ready to put them as a team that I would bet on to win this rule, but this is a team that given the fact of the NFC of the AFC, I have to put in that upper echelon where I wasn't ready to put them in there to begin with for the most part. I think sometimes um, like Henry being out is obviously a bad thing, but sometimes, you know, a, a guy can go out and the other guys need to step up and that becomes a blessing in disguise so that even when that guy, the Derrick Henry comes back, now all these other guys have sort of, you know, boosted their confidence because of what they were able to do when he was gone. And I think that's the type of situation you could be looking at with the Titans. You know, Tannehill's been having a not great season. You know, he was 33 touchdowns, seven picks last year, and now he's more like 11 and eight, right? So that's bad. Um, you know, the they, I feel like with the injuries to A.J. Brown and Julio, they've never like fully gotten that revamp passing attack underway. And then you lose Arthur Smith as well. I feel like these, you know, upcoming weeks are going to give them a chance to do that. Um, to add what you said, it's not just the Colts game. They've won three consecutive letdown spots in a row, right? They beat the Bills, then they beat the Chiefs, then they beat the Colts, then they beat the Rams. It's insane. It's one of the most impressive four-game runs I have ever seen. Um and like you said, you know, the defense is way better than we thought. I think we were both kind of ripping them in the past saying, yeah, like, yeah, they're a run first team and they have the reputation of a defensive team, but they're really not. And yeah, you know, they're the type of team like they had Clowney last year and he didn't do anything. And like you bring in these guys, you give out money to guys. Bud Dupree. Yeah, exactly. You know, Bud Dupree, another guy they give out money. He may or may not be over the hill. Turns out he plays well. Like um, it's very, very interesting. They are the best team in the AFC right now maybe even without Derrick Henry, but under the assumption that he will be back for the playoffs, right? Because I remember the time frame was about six to 10 weeks. So if you go get the bye week, then all of a sudden it'll be fine. It'll be all good. So um, I think, yeah, like you said, it's time to give them like serious respect, not just playoff respect, but, you know, Super Bowl contender respect. Yeah. I mean, given the fact of where the AFC is and what we've seen from these other teams, I think they definitely earned their respect. They're definitely in that upper echelon that I, I wasn't ready to give in. I was, wasn't ready to give in this one. For the Rams, I mean, they just shot themselves in the foot all game. 12 penalties for 115 yards, two turnovers and five sacks allowed. Meanwhile, Tennessee, four penalties for 19 yards, one turnover and three sacks allowed. You, you can't know. lose that, that decisively in all three of those aspects and expect to win, win a game. I mean, I don't know if I was watching Matt Stafford or Carson Wentz last night, man, with some of those turnovers. This is the well. same exact turn. I mean, they, they brought up on the broadcast when it when did Matthew Stafford had that interception in the red in the end zone. It was the same exact, pretty much the same exact play as Carson Wentz last week. Yeah. And then and then to compound it with the pick six three plays later. Um and so, you know, then you start doing the math of like, dude, if he just got safety and then they punted it and then you know, maybe that pick six doesn't happen because, you know, butterfly effect. I mean, 
and 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 it wasn't like the Titans offense was doing that much. Again, they had four like they had 14 points where they were starting drives like not in their red zone, not in the red zone or not in the five yard what, line. What you said about shooting the foot was accurate, you know, with the turnovers and the penalties. And then all is like it was unfortunate for me because you know I have this like Stafford MVP bet and, and it was like you know, um, Brady lost the week before, and then Dak, Dak's team had won without him, and then he comes back and they lose, and then Kyler's team wins without him, which indirectly hurts his MVP case. And then, you know, Mahomes was bad, and I think I already said Josh Allen was bad, and then Rodgers was out. Only person whose stock really raised was Brady from not doing anything. Um, and then it was all set up for Stafford to take the lead in the race with a dominant Sunday night performance. But I started to get the feeling that everyone and their mother was on the Rams. And I caught wind of it just a bit too late to do anything about it. And I wish that I had known because everyone was on the Rams and the Titans got it done. And that's just how it goes sometimes. I got it. First of all, I'll, I'll run through the MVP right now. Josh Allen plus 350, Brady plus 350, Kyler plus 750, Stafford plus 800. So it's not like he's out of there. I'm surprised that Josh Allen's still like tied for the favorite with Brady at this point. I think Brady, I think Brady, I think Brady should definitely. Yeah, be but it, that's that's like crazy is the fact that you know Brady doesn't do anything and he you know it helps his stock. Meanwhile, everybody else just falters. No, I had one stat about Mike Vrabel and it's kind of it's it's kind of amazing in these spots like you were talking about where everybody and their mothers on them. Titans are nearly unbeatable as big underdogs with this win. The Titans are now seven and zero against the spread and six and one straight up in games where they were underdogs of six or more points. And the only loss loss was by one point. Wow. Yeah. So in these spots, they are absolutely amazing. And it's crazy to see. I thought, you know, even if you showed me this last, if you showed me this on Sunday, I still would have gone with the Rams because I would have been like, Oh, that's all with Derek Henry. Like that's the different, that's a different story. Because I, and you know, if Stafford doesn't throw those two interceptions, maybe it's, maybe it is a different story at this, at that point, but it wasn't. And I'm not going to take anything away from the win in the Rams. I just, I think process over results. I, I am fine with going with the Rams and, and, uh, and losing this one. It just sucks because I did have, I believe a parlay on it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know what? Great, great for the Titans. This is a team that definitely has to be taken seriously. I think that's really what you come out of this one with the Rams. There's they're one game back of their division. They're very well within they're well within uh, the playoff picture. It doesn't really tell me that much. This was just another bad game for them. They're they're seven and two at this point. There's not much really else to say for them. Uh, yeah, if they start to string it together, then then not, there'll be cause for concern. Had they not beaten the Buccaneers, you'd have to ask if they're capable of beating good teams. However, they did, and therefore you can't ask that yet. Let me let me look at the. I mean, I, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think you have to be right on that one. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at their schedule, I mean, like we both like the Colts, but you know, at some point the a three, a three point win isn't, isn't that impressive, especially when you lose by 12 to the Titans without Derrick Henry and 17 to the Cardinals at home. All right. As good as the Cardinals are, you can't lose by 17 to them. Obviously them coming off that game against Tampa has to deal with maybe the severity of that where, you know, it's the emotional win. It's a letdown spot. But you know what? That's where props goes to Tennessee. The fact that they didn't. Three straight weeks. Them. Three straight yeah. weeks. No letdowns. Exactly. You know what? Testament to Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel. Last thing I want to check out now that we we're talking about him. I want to look at coach of the year. Let's do it. He has to be. He has to be. I think I think Cliff has to be number oh, one. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Cliff is Cliff plus 450. Then your favorite coach, Brandon Staley at plus 750. Tied with Mike Vrabel at plus 750. <laughs> Well, that I will tease on Wednesdays. That'll do it for us today. On Wednesday's pod, we will be doing 
awards halfway through the season. We're about halfway, a little bit over halfway, but we're going to do awards for this MVP, coach of the year, offensive rookie of the year, offensive player of the year, and then the defensive side of that as well. Hope you enjoy this one. We will also be back on Wednesday to preview week 10 of the NFL season. Thank you for listening. Thank you.